The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we turn now to your holy word, we pray that your spirit would accompany us both in the uh, message and in the listening, that we might draw closer to Christ, that we might rejoice in him, and that we might be filled with the promises of his word, so that we might serve you faithfully. For we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we come to the uh, nearly the end of another semester and another school year, and uh, this is always a, uh, a uh, difficult time for students who are uh, facing exhaustion and the uh, pressures of papers due tomorrow and finals about to begin. But it's also a time as we begin to look forward some of you to a summer of work or internship, others of you to graduation and uh, a new life outside these ivory halls, or not quite ivory. Um, and uh, it's always a wonderful opportunity and something of a challenge for me to think about what do we say at the end of this time together when we must soon say goodbye to friends and uh, all of us uh, look for slightly different work at least for a few months. And I thought this morning we might look particularly at some of the promises of God's word which should go with us as we go out. So I'd invite you to look with me at Psalm 91, the psalm that we just sang, and uh, listen to the promises that God makes to his people uh, in this uh, marvelous psalm. Psalm 91, let us hear God's own word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So far, the reading of God's word. A psalm full of promises, 
big promises and little promises, promises of long life, promises of protection from great dangers, wars and pestilence and plague and disease, and promises of protection from small dangers, stubbing your toe. And they're wonderful promises. But unless we have been completely overwhelmed by a false sort of piety, we have to ask at some point, does God keep these promises? Or more particularly, what does God actually intend by these promises? Because not every Christian experiences long life. Not every Christian soldier is promised that he'll come safely through the battle. Every Christian is not guaranteed a life free from disease. And to read this psalm as if that were the promise of this psalm is to read it the way the devil read it. Because you remember that it was the evil one who came to our Lord in the wilderness and tempted him by taking him to the pinnacle of the temple and saying, throw yourself down. Because has not God promised that he will give his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against the stone? So, can we go hang gliding off the cliffs of San Diego out over the Pacific with the guarantee that the angels will hold us up? Others may fall like a stone. Uh, But we are guaranteed that that won't happen to us. Jesus, of course, rebuked the evil one, and said he was misreading, misusing this text. And I suspect that probably if we spent more time than we ought listening to television preachers, we'd find a similar misuse of texts here and elsewhere, of promises being guaranteed to the people of God that God doesn't actually intend. But what does God intend? We mustn't fall into the Reformed habit of just explaining what the Scripture doesn't mean. Uh, We have to uh, explain what it does mean. What are these promises for us? How are do we appropriate these promises? How are we to live in them? And I think as we look carefully at this text, what we find promised above all else in this text is that God will be unfailingly the home of his people. God will be unfailingly the home of his people. He will be our dwelling place. And this psalm breaks into three, uh, not quite stanzas, because they're not at all of similar length, but into three sections, um, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 through 13, and then verses 14 through 16, as in a variety of ways, this psalm reflects on how God is the home, is the dwelling place of his people. And he is our home, first of all, as a shelter, that's the sort of emphasis in the first two verses, that we will find a hiding place, a protected place in our God. You notice there are four different ways in which that's spoken about here in these first two verses. God is a shelter, in that sense a kind of hiding place from the world, a shadow, that means his presence is so close to us that his shadow is a protection uh, in which we stand. Uh, He is a Refuge, and he is a fortress. That's the promise here. That God is close to us, that God protects us, that God will take care of us. And in these two opening verses, that is further underscored by various 
names given to God in this text. He's the Most High, emphasizing his supremacy in this universe, an ancient name for God. He's the Almighty. He has the power to fulfill his promises as he makes them. Uh, He is the um, uh, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. He is the covenant-keeping God. And then he is my God, stressing the personal connection of God uh, to his people here. God is our shelter. That's being promised here. And it's being promised here, it seems to me, uh, in relation to the distress that Israel has been experiencing. Uh, Psalm 91 is the second psalm in the fourth book of the Psalter, a book that I think uh, is in part an answer and the beginning of comfort for the people of God in the midst of the terrible distress that they have experienced, uh, largely described in the psalms of the third book of the Psalter. Think of uh, the anguished cry of Psalm 79, standing in such marked contrast to the promises of Psalm 91. Listen to these verses from Psalm 79. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. Here is is calamity visited upon the people of God. Jerusalem taken, the temple defied, defiled, the people of God uh, murdered in such numbers that there's no one left with the strength to bury them. How does that relate to Psalm 91? Weren't we just promised that a thousand would fall on your one hand, ten thousand on another, but it will not come near to you? How do we relate these things? And I think... The relationship is that although, as Israel experienced in her history, they may lose capital and land and temple and king, they will not lose their God. They may lose the habitation of the land filled with milk and honey. They may lose the habitation of Jerusalem, the beautiful city. They may lose even the habitation of God himself in the temple. They may lose the leadership of the king. It may seem that all has gone to rack and ruin. But the promise of 91 is they will not lose their God. That however bad the circumstances of this life may be and may become, God will remain their dwelling. They cannot be, they will not be separated from him. And it's in that context as God of God as shelter for his people that the psalm goes on to say, and therefore you are safe in God. The God who determines to keep you as his people will protect you to accomplish the ends for which he sends you. And although there may be many dangers in life, uh, from small personal individual dangers, the snare of the fowler, the hunter who goes out looking for birds and shoots at you. There are ministers who have that feeling when they're in a congregation that there are individuals out to get him. That very personal danger 
to these mammoth sorts of dangers, pestilence and plague and warfare, God promises that he'll take care of you through those circumstances. I don't know how many Christians there are uh, in the midst of these tragedies in Burma and in China. But we're not guaranteed that when the big earthquake comes, the building won't fall in on us. But we are guaranteed that when the big earthquake comes, it won't separate us from the love of God. It won't separate us from God being our home and our protection. And in this psalm, I think the pious Israelite and we are are invited to think about how God has manifested that to his people in the past. Uh, In this psalm, I think there are lots of allusions. Unfortunately, Professor Estelle doesn't seem to be here. There are lots of uh, allusions to the Exodus. There are obvious allusions to the Exodus in terms of plague and pestilence. How could an Israelite read about plague and pestilence without thinking about the Exodus experience and the plagues visited upon Egypt? But there are subtler allusions here. Uh, The word abide in... uh, Verse uh, 1 has resonance with the Passover night. Uh, The word serpent has resonance. I'm not saying it's exclusively a reference to, but has resonance with Moses' staff that turned into a serpent. Uh, Striking your foot against the stone is the same verb used to talk about God striking Egypt. And when Israel thinks about seeing the recompense of the wicked... How could they not think back to the Red Sea when Pharaoh and his hosts are drowned in the Red Sea and surely they beheld the recompense of the wicked? You see, God is saying that uh, he assures safety for his people in this essential reality that they will remain his people. Of the uh, promises made here, perhaps the most sweeping is in verse 10. No evil will be allowed to befall you. Hmm. How can that be? And yet it's interesting that our Lord seems to reiterate precisely that promise in Luke chapter 10 verses 19 and 20. Where he says to his disciples, behold I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I think uh, to the extent that we can see our Lord providing a kind of commentary on Psalm 91, what he's really saying to his disciples, which is, I think, very much the message of Psalm 91, is that nothing shall harm you in the performance of the calling to which I call you. That is, I will accomplish my purpose through you. And in the accomplishment of that purpose, no harm shall deflect you from doing what I call you to do. But don't rejoice ultimately in that as good as it is. Rejoice ultimately in this, that your names are written in heaven. That God will forever remain your home. That nothing 
will be able to separate you from the love of God as it is in Jesus Christ. That's what this psalm is assuring us of. Uh, At the time of the Exodus, Israel didn't have land or temple or capital or king. But God was their dwelling place. God was their Lord. God was their protector. God accomplished his purpose through them. So this psalm reminds us that in all circumstances, God is our shelter, God is our safety, and then at the end, God is our satisfaction. The last three verses of this psalm, God himself comes to speak. And God makes seven promises in the seven lines of these three verses. And then God says, with long life, I will satisfy him. And the Hebrew root of that word is seven. Seven promises that satisfy in a sabbatical fullness for the people of God. That's what God promises us. That's what God wants us to go forward from this place knowing that God will satisfy us with a sabbatical fullness in his promises. That's why Jesus said to his people, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so as you go out to serve the Lord, whether it's for this summer, planning to come back and serve him here again in the fall, when you're writing those papers and studying for those exams, you are serving the Lord. That's something that is good to remember. But whether you're going out just for the summer or going out now uh, out into the world to serve the Lord in so many ways, go with these promises. He is your dwelling place. And he will remain your dwelling place. And he will protect you from every danger to the accomplishing of the callings to which you are called and to preserve you into everlasting life in Jesus Christ our Savior. Let's pray together. We are thankful, O Lord, for the promises of your word, promises so lavish that we can hardly take them in, and yet promises that can, in every distress and difficulty, uh, go with us and encourage us and strengthen us in your service. So make us, O Lord, those who dwell in you. Make us, O Lord, those who trust in you. Make us, O Lord, those who hold fast to you in love. And make us those, O Lord, who call upon you because we know you will answer. Fill us then with hope and believing, with confidence in all the struggles of life, and with good assurance that you will preserve us as our dwelling place for all eternity. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.